0: Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720 KDWN. Welcome back. I'm Brian Black talking to Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates. If you have a question about the probate process, the process, the legal process that happens after somebody dies and you need to take care of their estate, give us a call or a text at 702-257-5396 on the Centennial Toyota Talk & Text Line. So we're talking about the the process from the client's perspective, from the family's perspective. And, you know, when you have a family member die, it's an incredibly emotional uh, time. And it, it can honestly only get worse when there might be money problems involved. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad fact, but, you know, the best of friends can, can have a falling out over money, and especially family members. Uh, when we're talking about uh, whether it's just cash or whether we're talking about, like you say, real property, um, you know, who gets the house you know, you might have a, an eldest son who just always assumed he was going to get the house, but then there might be uh, someone with, a, you know, a younger sibling with a family who thinks they should get it because they need it more. Uh, and these sort of things can can cause problems. So, uh, you know, without the presence of a will or without certain knowledge of a will,
1: there might be need for an attorney. There is a need for attorney most in most cases. And the initial consultation, of course will bring out what, how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Now you say, well, we don't know if there's a will. Uh, well, the will is a document that says, this is the way I want my assets distributed when I die. Right. And this is the person that I want to administer that estate. And even though there is someone named in the will mm-hmm. to administer it, It's a process that you go through. The probate process is that you you file that will and then you petition the court to uh, prove up that will and make sure that that is the last will and testament of the individual and that this person is the person who has been named to administer it and he is qualified to do so. And so just because their name appears in the will does not necessarily mean that they're going to be the executor or executrix of that will. What are
0: some things that would disqualify you from being able to execute a will?
1: Uh, execute a will? Oh, wait,
0: no, I mean not execute, excuse me, to administer a will.
1: To administer a will, well, um, you have uh, your felon. Okay, so you've you been know, to jail. There's been a lot of dishonesty in your life, and, and you technically cannot be uh, uh, the personal representative And sometimes a person may have put someone, an individual, into the will. And we had an estate one time, and the person was an out-of-stater. Just being an out-of-stater does not mean that they can't serve as the personal representative. But in Mm -hmm. that particular case, that out-of-stater had a felony on his or her record. Right. And uh, uh, it meant that she had to have someone be the personal representative, but there was no other personal representative named in the will. Right. And so we go through a process as to who can nominate a person to be the personal representative. If there's no one named, who can do it? And so now you're into another area of the statute trying to find a personal representative. Now, sometimes we don't even get that far because in finding out what there are in the way of assets, we find out what the value is. We also try to find out, are there any liens against that property? And oftentimes in over the last eight years or so, a lot of homes have been upside down. And so the, the question comes up, do we want to start a probate and put the money into administering an estate that only has a house in it that is upside down that no one wants to pay more for that house. Right. And, and so what do you do? And we have l- different levels of probate. Uh, if the value, the net value of the assets is under $20,000 for all assets in right. the state, then you do not have to probate at all, but you can wait a statutory period of time, do an affidavit of entitlement, and get those assets turned over to you without any administration, no well, that, probate.
0: That was going to be my next question. So, if if your entire if the entire estate is less than twenty thousand dollars, you don't have to do anything uh, in the probate area.
1: That's a general rule, yes. But so, if there is real property, then you still have to take it through the court.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So, basically, everyone who has any property has to go through the probate process.
1: No, if I mean they, over twenty thousand dollars. Real property. Okay. Okay. Now, if if the total value of all of their property, including real property, tangible personal property, as an action, you know, accounts, things like this, right, uh, is under twenty, then no probate. Okay. Uh, if they're if you go over twenty thousand, but the total value is less than one hundred thousand, then here again the the. Uh, legislature does not feel like we need to go through a probate process Mm -hmm. a full administration right and so we have what's known as a set-aside and we determine first of all are are there assets there what's the net value of those assets and we determine that it's under a hundred thousand since it is under a hundred thousand we have to establish to the court that it is valued at something under a hundred thousand, go to court, petition the court, and say it's under a hundred thousand and under the statute, we'd like to just set it aside to whoever is supposed to receive it. Okay. If it goes over a hundred thousand but less than three hundred thousand, then we have to probate but probate it, but we can probate it under what's known as a summary administration or mm-hmm. probate. And what does
0: that mean, summary? Uh, s-
1: well, th- there are a couple of things that you need to do. You need to um, give notice to creditors and give them an opportunity to put in a claim. You have to uh, go through the, the courts to get a, um, a court order as to the distribution of those assets pursuant either to the terms of the will or mm-hmm. the uh, According to the terms of the statute, uh, but once you go over three hundred thousand, then you have to do a general probate. Okay. And when you do a general probate, then you have to do everything that you would have to do, even if you had three million dollars or three hundred million dollars.
0: And it's, I think that that sounds like kind of a tipping point there, because I mean, with with home values being what they are, um, in in Las Vegas. It might be very easy to go over that 300000 mark if, you're, if you own a home in Las Vegas and you have any kind of uh, real property above and beyond that and some money set aside. So it sounds like the, you're, most people would fall into those two categories, whether it's the summary or the general, correct? Uh,
1: yes, the, most of them do fall in that range. However, oftentimes a person will have a lot of assets mm-hmm. and they're on the face, they're quite wealthy but they have done some things that uh, make these assets non-probatable assets. Oh, okay. And these non-probatable assets are assets like joint tenancy property and a joint tenancy, all the joint tenants own 100% of the entire asset. Mm -hmm. And so when one joint tenant dies, the, the surviving joint tenants continue to own 100%. Okay. And so there's nothing to probate.
0: Uh, and that's a good thing,
1: right? Well, it can be. Tax-wise, if it's not a probatable asset and you are going to transfer those assets through the probate process or through other than joint tenancy, you get a stepped-up basis in the value of the asset. And so if it's joint tenancy, it's not all that good tax wise, but it's easy to get it administered and pushed on without going through probate.
0: Very interesting point. We've just begun to talk about the tax uh, issues surrounding probate. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that from the client's point of view. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota text line at 702-257-5396. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian Alo of Brian A. Lowe and Associates about the probate process from the point of view of the client, of the family member of someone who has recently died. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe about the probate process, give us a call or a text on the Centennial Toyota text line at 702-257-5396. Now, Brian, you talked uh you you's touched on something earlier that we hadn't really discussed up to this point, is uh, you know, when someone dies who has assets, they need to be distributed and and that's the probate process. Um, you touched on tax liability issues, and I don't know anything about that. so um it, what it, it, when you talked about a joint tenancy, having having your uh, assets in a joint tenancy and you're trying to uh, f- uh, make your assets non probatable what is what is the deal with that? Why do you need to do that?
1: Well, a lot of people enter into a joint tenancy because it removes that particular asset out of the probate process. It goes by operation of law directly to the surviving joint tenants. The tax aspect of that is a person gets a stepped up in basis in the value of the asset. For instance, he bought a house for a $100,000. Mm-hmm. he has been renting it out and has taken some depreciation. And let's say, each time he's take depreciation, the basis reduces in that that property. Right. And so let's say the basis now is eighty, but he can sell it for two hundred and eighty thousand. Right. So you take the amount received, two hundred eighty thousand, less the eighty thousand your basis, and that gives you your uh, your gain. Okay. And in a joint tenancy, since the person who initially owned it. Uh, had a basis of 100, which was reduced down to 80. So his half was 50, mm-hmm. and the half of the basis at date of death was was 40 for his half. So now it's worth 280. So you get a stepped up in basis in the half of 280, right. which is 140, and the other person has their basis still in there of 80. So now. The total basis in the property is now 180, right? And not 280. So they don't
0: pay as much capital gains tax. That's
1: right. Okay. So by having a joint tenancy, they're going to end up paying more. Capital gains tax when they sell it.
0: Now, is this something that spouses need to do, or is that is uh, you know would you need to enter into a joint tenancy with your spouse on a, a piece of property like that?
1: Well, oftentimes uh, with residences, people will use joint tenancy, and and it's interesting how many uh, groups practice law. You know, the the real estate brokers say, "Well, put it in joint tenancy." The title company say, "Put it in joint tenancy," but in fact, it could have a detrimental effect on your overall estate plan, mm-hmm. and it could have an effect on the taxation. But with a residence, if you sell the house and your the difference between the amount received and your basis mm-hmm. is less than... Let's say you're a surviving spouse, less than two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Then that's exempt anyway, so you don't really worry about a joint tenancy with a spouse. Okay. So,
0: and you'd have to really take a, a huge bath on a house to have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar gap there, wouldn't you? Unless yes. you lived in it for forty years, I guess. But
1: oftentimes people live in them for forty years. Right. We have a lot of, a lot of people that have bought uh, property for very little. They went through. Uh, the the rapid rise in value. And then we had the crash and it's back down and they've taken some loans out on it. And who knows, who knows, you know, so uh, it's, it's more complicated than just saying joint tenancy is good because in, in a lot of cases, joint tenancy is not all that good, but it does avoid probate. But that's one of the things that we have to look at. Are there joint tenancy assets? Now let's assume that father, mother, And a son, uh, for convenience purposes, all went in on this property as joint tenants. Okay. There are three other children that live back in Maryland. Okay. And now they know that the only asset that there is in the father and mother's estate is the house. And they think that they're going to get a piece of the house when mom and dad die. But it's in joint tenancy with the one son. Right. Right. And so it all goes to the one son.
0: And there's nothing and, that can be done about that.
1: It's the law. It goes to the surviving joint tenant. But there are, are other ways that you can avoid probate. One is putting uh, pay on death. With a pay on death, you put that on a deed, transfer this property on death to whoever, and you get a full stepped-up in basis. Oh, okay. It's it's good ta- better tax-wise than joint tenancy, but you still could mess up your overall estate plan if you want to treat all your beneficiaries equally or right. something. It may all go to one payee or transferee on death. So, you know, there are pay on deaths. And then there's the beneficiary problem. Here's a, a life insurance policy or a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. And the children say, well, a dad had uh, half a million dollars in a in a uh, an IRA, mm-hmm. and uh, mom died, and there's still this IRA when Dad died. Now we're going to get a piece of that IRA, but what he has done is maybe put a beneficiary down as his oldest son or his brother right. who had lived in town with him, or whatever. So now that entire asset, goes to the beneficiary by operation of law. It does not go through the probate process. It's outside of administration. And so before we start any kind of a probate process, we have to find out what these assets are, how they are titled, because that has an effect. Sure, Are they going to have to be probated? And if we find out there are no probatable assets or there are so... Few probatable assets that, but the value is under twenty thousand. We don't start probate. So there are lots of things that we need to discuss with the client before we start that probate process.
0: And that's that's kind of an interesting point because I think that a lot of people believe that uh, it's a simple simple area. You know. Mom dies, Dad dies, everything goes to Mom, everything goes to Dad, Um, or you know, I, you know, myself, you know, I've got a life insurance policy where my beneficiary is my sister because I trust her to take care of everything, but. Uh, maybe that's something you should think twice about because it's not necessarily just a matter of trust. It's also a matter of of capability. And does she know what I want to be done with that? Um, but we've, so far we've been talking about it. we've we've kind of gotten into the point where we're talking about the planning process again, uh, how to avoid in in advance. But how often do you find when when a family member dies, somebody comes to you and, and they have no idea what's going on with Dad's estate. and how long does it take you to dig into this stuff?
1: Well, <clears throat> our first meeting with clients uh, generally runs at least an hour and a half, okay? because we we tell them what the what the process is. We tell them what the law requires. right. We tell them um, or we try to find out what they own in the way of assets, because initially if they say, yes, mom and dad have a, uh, a checking account and here's the recent statement. And the recent statement says the value of the, of the, uh, account is 325,000 and it's, it's in their name only. It's not as a joint tenancy with a survivor on it or anything. All of a sudden we say, yes, we know what it is now. It's a general probate. Right. And so we say, now is there a will? We need to know who has the right to administer it. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes children will come in and they don't, they don't know. Mom and dad did not inform them as to who they wanted to take over. So we try to find a will. Sometimes the children have a copy of the will, but we don't know if that will is really the valid last will and testament. It may, in fact, have been a document that was done back in uh, 2001, and they changed it in 2009, but nobody knew about it, but they have these copies. And, And so they come forth with a copy of the will, but a copy... Is not the last will and testament. We need the original last will and testament.
0: Now, are wills registered? I mean, you know what I'm saying. I mean, we've all everybody's heard the stories, the Howard Hughes stories, they're written on the back of a napkin, or and I know that that sort of thing happens. Are they registered somewhere that you can find them easily?
1: In in uh, Nevada, we do not have a registration of wills, and sometimes the registration of wills can be a problem because if you register it, and all of a sudden it's supposed to be the will. But later on, you've changed it, and you didn't change that registration. Now there's some real confusion.
0: When we come back, we'll be talking more about the probate process from the point of view of the family members. If you have a question for Brian A. Lowe of Brian A. Lowe & Associates, please give us a call or text on the Centennial Toyota text line at 702-257-5396. We'll be right back. Now back to Ask the Experts on News Talk 720, KDWN. Welcome back. We're talking to Brian A. Lowe, Brian A. Lowe & Associates. Uh, today we're talking about the probate process, the process that you have to go through after a family member dies to uh, take care of their assets. In most cases, you have to go through it. Uh, one of the things that we've touched on, and I just want to make it plain, you say that it's it's pretty much necessary if there's if it's if it's anything beyond a very very simple estate you need to talk
1: to a lawyer i i believe that it's in everyone's best interest to talk to a lawyer upon the death of their loved one
0: and it you'd is. be uh, in, in i would assume that's to avoid expense both in time and money that is correct so, you know, as we've talked about many times in the past here on Ask the Experts, uh, the first consultation with Brian A. Lowe and Associates doesn't cost you a thing, right? That's correct. And as we've talked about during this show, this is a pretty in-depth first appointment. I mean, we're talking it about it. Uh, uh, you know, you're you you're really going through what needs to be done, and then you can lay it out in front of uh, the family and find out what they need to do.
1: Yeah, and oftentimes the person who comes in is not the named personal representative, and someone else is the named personal representative. So we try to encourage them to talk to that individual and Mm -hmm. say, this is what needs to be done. You know, I learned a little bit by going to Mr. Lowe, and he's explained all the, the process and everything else. And so my advice is that since you are the named personal representative, that you get into Mr. Lowe or whoever you're going to go to so that this process can begin.
0: Well, you know, and I would imagine that there are people out there that uh, that don't know all of the ins and outs of what's probatable, what's non-probatable, what the different limits are between the summary and the general probate, what, you know, all of the, all of these, these these, and they may not even know what all the assets are of a family member. No matter how close you are to someone, there might be an account or a, a piece of property somewhere that you just don't know about because maybe it was willed to them 50 years ago. You know, it could have been lots of different things, and I would imagine that there there been many cases where people they think they know what they're doing and they end up creating more work for themselves and costing themselves money
1: and they step on people's toes and and really create a real problem Mm -hmm. Uh, another thing is is that with our privacy laws with the HIPAA laws we you know an individual he may be the natural person to take over he may be the named executor under a will he may be the one that's supposed to do it but he can't get all of the information right and they won't get the information until they are appointed by the court as the personal representative and once they get that those letters testamentary then they have the right and power to go to the bank to go to uh, the financial institutions and get all the information that they need.
0: So, yeah, you can't go to Bank of America and say, hey, my dad died. Can you give me his bank statement? That's right. It's uh, it's something that it has to be. Let me ask you this. Does it? What does it cost to go through this probate process? I mean, the court costs, I mean.
1: The court costs generally run, uh, depending on the size of the probate, anywhere from uh, 300 to about $500. That's just plus or minus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's out-of-pocket cost. Once you start a probate, then one of the things that you want to do as soon as you start that probate process is to give notice to creditors because that's a statutory period of time that creditors have the right to make a claim against the estate. Okay. Some people think that because there is a will, they have the right to receive those assets. That is not the case. That that has to go through the probate process. The, the will has to be... Uh, recognized now as the last will and testament under the law. And so we have to go through that process. And
0: if you don't do that, there is a possibility you could be sued by creditors. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Those Some people think that they're because they're in the will, they are the beneficiary and they should take. Mm-hmm. But even going through the probate process because of the beneficiary does not give them the right to take first. The first funds in the estate go to the administrator of that estate, the the executor, executrix, personal representative. They get to be paid for their services because once they step in uh, and become the administrator of the estate, they receive license to, to... administer it for everyone that has any rights to I- claim anything in the estate. The first one that gets paid then is the administrator. Right. And they get reimbursed, and there's a statutory fee that they receive. It's all in the statute. It's a percentage, and they that's what they get. Okay. Then uh, after, after paying those administrative expenses, the creditors are the next ones up. So before you start distributing assets you need to give notice to creditors and you need to let that period run because a, a person with a claim could make a claim on the last day of the creditors period right and it could be it could, I mean, wipe it, you could out. it could wipe you out but they are the next ones that have priority then the next ones to that are the are the specific bequests what is a specific bequest? That's one where I, I say, when I die, give my car to my daughter. Right. Give my house to my second son. Give my whatever. Right. Okay. And so those specific bequests come up next. And if all the money is given away in a, as a specific bequest, then the residuary beneficiaries who are the last to receive, mm-hmm. they're the ones that get cut off. Sure. <laughs> and so you do not want to pay the residuary amount, 25, 25, 25, 25 percent uh, to beneficiaries before you've done the administration, paid the expenses that need to be paid, get the creditors cleaned off the books and paid the uh, the specific bequests. And now you have a residuary amount. So all of this is part of the administration and accounting that goes on in a probate, and all heirs uh, or beneficiaries of the will will receive a copy of that accounting. So at the end of the day, we find we know what there was in the way of assets, right. what the costs were, any creditor's claims, what they were, and what is left and what then can— be distributed.
0: Well, let me ask you this about life insurance. We've talked about it several times in the past. Now, is life insurance included in the probate process or is that just a direct transaction b- transaction between the life insurance company and the beneficiary? That is a
1: good question. With life insurance, the beneficiary, if there is a beneficiary named mm-hmm. by the statute it goes to the beneficiary it's not part of the estate okay
0: and, and that would be a good way to take care of those 25 25 25 kids that is correct um, if you if you feel like you you know your estate is going to go in a, and that's something that creditors have no part of
1: that is correct
0: and that's something and under
1: that, the law it's the life insurance is, is not subject to the claims of a creditor okay nor is it subject to the creditor's claim of the beneficiary So with life insurance, there's some preference there under the law.
0: Well, today we've been talking about the probate process. Hopefully, we've given a little bit of perspective from the point of view of the family. If you have had a a family member who recently died, or if you're thinking about avoiding some of these pitfalls in the probate process, I encourage you to make an appointment with Brian A. Lowe & Associates. The number to call is 702-259-0002. That's 702-259-0002. You can check out their website at SouthernNevadaLawyers.com. Thanks for coming in again on Ask the Experts,
1: Mr. Lowe. Thank you, Brian. It's been great being here with you.
0: We'll be back next week, and we'll be talking about more right here on 720 KDWN.